0: Welcome back to Mundaria Legends. I'm your host, Michael Stone. After today's episode, we will only have three more episodes remaining in this season. That means I am accepting new character ideas for our next episodes. This also means you have the chance to get a character featured in the upcoming season, along with a shout out to you in the show intro. I can only accept so many characters, however, and time is limited. So visit MoondariaLegends.com and click on our audience suggestion page. I am sure you'll find that helping make your own Mundarian legend is even more fun than just listening to them. Make history and make your legends today. As a reminder, if you like what this show is doing, there are three easy things you can do to help support it. Try one or all three. First, you can leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. Second, you can help directly support the podcast through Patreon.com. Check out the link in the description and earn cool perks like bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, merchandise, and more. Third, and most importantly, you can let your friends and family know how much you enjoy the show. Because at the end of the day, the best way to enjoy a good story is with others you care about. Now. Without further ado, we bring to you Episode 9, Discoveries. Zico had managed to gather many of the refugees into the fortress dungeons. They weren't exactly the most luxurious accommodations, but as the cells were located deep in the back of the keep, they were much safer than most anywhere else in Stradtrix at the moment. He was now racing towards the front-facing chambers that had been exposed by the dragon's gouging attacks, sprinting through torchlit hallways with scattered rubble and fallen decor. A quiet panic surged through Zico's legs. He had not seen Xena or Zalost since the Bladehand had attacked the fortress. There had been a few draconid scouts that had been sent to retrieve them, but no one could find any trace of Zico's twin sister or the Arch-Chief. He had hoped that perhaps they were among the citizens who were fleeing the now vulnerable city for what security the keep could offer, but he had searched among them to no avail. All he could focus on now was that there was a giant dragon that had to be dealt with, and that searching for Xena and Salast any longer would be fruitless if he had nowhere safe for them to retreat to. And though he wasn't entirely sure if a dragon wielding the banishing blade could be killed, he had to try. He didn't know what else to do. He found his way to a dining room whose city-facing walls had been almost completely obliterated, their windows shattered and littering the floor with their glistening remains. And though he had already seen the titanic monster already, he again gasped with awe at the dragon's transformation. It seemed somewhat deformed in a brutal, cruel way. It wasn't just bigger. Its scales, which should have been more sleek were like overly thick plates of armor, giving the dragon a much more jagged, vicious frame with which to wreak her havoc. Messiax was dueling with Zradka still, as Zradka artfully weaved around the monster's massive frame, lashing the dragon every chance she could, while concentrating her attacks on its eyes, throat, and wings, the only areas not covered in the new, seemingly invulnerable scales. Messiax, in turn, "'twisted and thrashed about, "'demolishing other sections of the city as she did. "'Her fury reflected in the glowing orange semicircles "'her eyes formed as they tracked the tidal dragon's quarry. "'The tail, arms, and wings of the dragon "'were all employed in the task of slicing through the air "'in the maelstrom of claws and muscle, "'all to strike down the scarlet-scaled draconid royal. "'Zico looked below him, a large pile of rubble had formed a slope he could use to descend from this second-story room. As he navigated his way carefully down the stones, readying a fireball in his right hand with his god shard, a different noise caught his attention, distinct from the roar of Messiax, the crashing bedlam of the city, or the battle cries and screams of its occupants. The new noise, a kind of high-pitched whirring, was coming from the southeast— He looked, and sure enough, beyond the walls of Stradrix, he saw the outline of an avian flying straight towards the city. Zico didn't even have time to react before he saw the brownish blur shoot past the walls straight at the dragon. And just as Zico completed his descent, he saw the avian hit the dragon, which surprisingly only caused the dragon to barely flinch. Messiax had noted, however, as she turned her head to look at her left flank where the avian had hit and was now clutching onto the rough blue scales of the beast. Messiox cackled and greeted the avian. Why, I believe I already have killed a bird today, but I will never say no to a snack. A single beat of silence followed the dragon's taunt. And then, the avian let out a gut-wrenching, ear-splitting screech. Zico covered his ears quickly, but not in time to have prevented an awful ringing in his ears. This was no ordinary battle cry, not even one from an avian. Zico did not know if the screech was somehow part of Artholin language— because though he had been quite the traveler, even for one as young as he, learning other languages had been a struggle for him. But from the strained tension, the harrowing pitch of the avian's voice, he somehow knew that the avian, whoever she was, was in some kind of great pain." The dragon must not have been insensitive to the screech, because it didn't reach its arms up to cover the sides of its head, but it did look up in utter surprise and rage, as the black clouds that had been gathering above her began swirling, faster and faster, and glowed blue with lightning. The storm wasn't near as massive as that which had sent molten chunks of rock hurtling towards Stradrix, but it had nothing less of its intensity, a vortex of air, dust, and smoke from the ruined city swirled around the dragon and began striking haphazardly around Stradrix. Zico heard the dragon begin to bellow deeply with pain, but before Zico had a chance to celebrate, lightning lanced outwards from the storm as well, with bursts of wind swirling madly through the city. Zico narrowly dodged a watermelon-sized boulder that had been picked up in the winds, as he took out a dagger and thrust it into the ground near him as he dived. He held on as tightly as he could as the dragon continued to be struck again and again and again in quick succession by the lightning. Though the avian had stopped screeching, the storm was completely uncontrolled. Never before had Zico seen such death sweep through any people so quickly. Zico watched helplessly as rubble struck other draconids and crucians killing them as life and limb were claimed, by flying stone and errant lightning bolts. There seemed to be no safe cover for most Crucians, as more buildings creaked and then fell over on top of the crowds, still trying to escape. Some distance away, Zico saw even Zradka had planted her own claws into the ground, her chain whips flailing about madly as she tried to flatten herself against the stony ground zico tried yelling out to the blade hand to stop to end the storm to end this massacre but his voice was lost in the wind there had still been hundreds of citizens trying to get out into the keep before the avian had arrived how many were now buried how many more were going to die just then the dragon's head fell down to the ground near zico it blearily looked at him confusion and disbelief shrouding its eyes. Zico? Zico, is that you? What? Of all the things Zico could have expected to see or hear today, that voice, coming from the Tidal Dragon, calling him by that name, wasn't anywhere on the list. Time stood still, as the awful implications of what he was hearing took their toll. Zico! What? What am I? What? The dragon was cut off by another round of lightning strikes. Thrashing in pain, it curled its head back towards the eye of the storm. Then, a different voice, booming in the midst of the swirling chaos, so last I heard you. "'Where are you, you insignificant insect? "'How many of your people must die before I—' More and more lightning struck. It seemed only to enrage the dragon, and then it went quiet again, as Zika was petrified by the reality of what he had discovered, and heard the voice of his arch-chief once more call out, Zico! Zico, where is Xena? She was with me! Uh, ah! And as incredible as it had been to see the tidal dragon grow in size before, it began to shrink, slowly at first, and then more and more so. The storm suddenly began to die down, the light of a Crucian dusk breaking through to the now shattered city of Stradrix. The fierce avian looked around frantically as a lion that had just caught sight of and then lost its prey. Dust was clearing, and the sunset's light was filling more and more of the space where Zico realized the busiest street market had once been. Zradka was nearby, but pinned under a boulder, unconscious, possibly dead, but Zico couldn't immediately tell. The avian flew down to Zico, her hard orange eyes red with tears as she curtly demanded, The dragon! Where is she? Where did she go, Crucian? Had Zico still not been in shock, he might have thought better than to look right at the middle of the ruined town square. But the avian caught his gaze and followed his line of sight to a human woman, a strikingly graceful woman, Adorned in draconid chainmail, with its larger pauldrons and gauntlets missing. And, in the woman's left hand, to Zico's further astonishment, was the banishing blade. The avian looked towards the human woman, and met her with her bitter cold regard. A shapeshifter. Not the first I have heard of, but very well. The avian muttered under her breath. "'This will be easy,' she bitterly spat. As Zico saw her begin to slowly step towards the woman he knew was somehow, inexplicably, his arch-chief.' Loella bounded herself forward in the water with her hydromancy, speeding like a dartfish through the bay towards the thermal vents, all of which were lodged in the side of an underwater rock face. She tried going in one, only to circle back around to another opening in the bay. Fortunately, because of her hydromancy, she hadn't wasted much time, but it still wasn't the most auspicious of beginnings for a mercy mission. She tried another thermal vent, with an exit located more deeply in the water closer to the bay's sandy floor, and propelled herself forward through it. As she had thought, the waters here were also a little warmer than in the bay, but the current was a little faster here. Likely it was this current that had helped cool these waters as quickly as they had, and, with her hydromancy helping her, swimming against that current wasn't an issue. She continued to swim horizontally through the underwater tunnel, until, eventually— It curved slowly upward into a larger underground body of water. She slowed down, then gently breached its surface. It was imperative to the success of her mission that she not unduly alarm any guards or any other creatures that may be lurking in these underground tunnels. But as Luella looked around, there was no one immediately nearby. It appeared that she had found a large underground pool. What caught her attention, however, was that some ways past this pool's rim was a dull crimson brick archway leading into a tunnel. That was it a crucian tunnel leading to Stradrix. But death'sight take her misfortune, that wasn't flooded, making it much more difficult for Luella to use. But there was light coming from it. That had to mean that someone was down that way but before she was about to call out to get someone's attention, she heard echoed voices coming from the tunnel that were too familiar. At first, she was perplexed beyond all reason, but as she listened more closely, her initial suspicions were proven correct. It was Zeru's voice she was hearing. And he was talking with someone else, a human They were arguing, shouting, and as the tunnel from which their voices echoed had been artificially constructed, their voices came through into Luella, loud and clear, and they were getting closer. Luella ducked her head behind a rock, sticking out of the water, careful again not to splash. There was something deeply wrong about this. Why would Zeru be down here? As she listened, however, what she heard did nothing to abate her discomfiture. "'I was nearly killed by that beast, Zeru! Why didn't you tell me that you were intending on letting that thing get the banishing blade? I thought you had wanted to claim it for yourself. Wasn't that the point of all this?' Luella's eyes nearly popped out of their sockets, but was no less shocked when she heard zeru respond you know the rules of this operation Athrin. no one has given the whole plan information is a dangerous thing to entrust to too many people except to you you mean am i supposed to just trust you implicitly zeru the other voice whom loella could only guess was this athron responded as she listened She saw the silhouettes of the two men outlined on the wall of the cavern she was facing as Zeru and Atherin stopped to face each other. "'You can trust that if you don't follow my instructions to the letter, Atherin, that I won't hear you complain about being kept out of the loop ever again,' Zeru coldly replied. "'Threatening me like that isn't going to work anymore, Zeru!' My quarters in Strathrix are in ruin because of that dragon. I was lucky I wasn't there, otherwise I would have been crushed under the rubble. And yet you weren't, and have even found the time to come complain to me. So what is your point, Athrun? Zeru challenged. My point is that I really don't think you thought this all through. That is, if I am important to the plan in the first place. What plan? This was some kind of nightmare. Zeru, the most accomplished healer in Mundaria, meeting in secret like some kind of state spy? Incredulity and horror both kept Luella frozen in place. She couldn't move, couldn't make a sound. She had to know what it was Zeru was up to. "'You have been instrumental to the plan so far, Athrun,' "'I only ask that you keep this one last experiment alive "'in Strathrix for safekeeping. "'If I am to obtain the banishing blade from Messiax "'once she has been slain, "'I need to ensure that this pathetic mess of an avian "'can be eliminated, and quickly. "'Manipulating her towards her own self-destruction "'has been quite simple so far. "'But you need to ensure that that Zradka remains ready to deal with our ex-blade hand should the occasion arise. Atherin's shadow on the cave walls looked as if he was shaking his head. I just don't understand why you couldn't have taken the blade yourself when Aeltha was in the Maeli camp. Because I have the least ounce of sense, you idiot, Zeru snarled. Timing is everything to our operation here. Moving too quickly— even sending someone else to steal the blade in the night would have been the utmost folly. Infiltrating the Order of the Blade's camp would have been possible, yes, even probable. But that very act would have alerted those so called peacekeeping monks to hunt us down, no matter where we may take refuge. No, in order to take my prize safely, with the least chance of detection, we must allow these pawns to annihilate each other. Celast's transformation into the tidal dragon on the battlefield has erupted Stradrix in chaos, far from the watchful eyes of the Order of the Blade. And, thanks to some gentle prodding on my part, Aeltha is going to ensure that Messiax dies, and that the banishing blade will once again come into play. That swirling storm of hormones! You've entrusted the death of the most powerful dragon in existence to a little girl? Atherin nearly screamed. Even if she had the banishing blade, she's no match for a dragon. Tell me, where is the sense in that? Zeru's shadow throttled Atherin. Because, my student... I have taken the time to actually know the people we are dealing with. All Aeltha needs to do is lose control. She may not be disciplined, but she is a direct descendant of one of the most powerful Skymancers in history. And with the seething hate she is feeling for that dragon now... She will not hesitate, and she will not let up until either she or the dragon is dead. Furthermore, if you could have been competent enough to remember, you would know from your years of working with Salast's condition that while in her dragon form, she very quickly uses up her strength. With the banishing blade, she will use it up even faster. Messiax, Tsalast, whichever name you prefer to use for her, will die! Either by the hand of Aeltha or by any of the thousands of Crucians who have just seen their homes destroyed by the tidal dragon. And Aeltha will most certainly die! Because like the mindless, unthinking, pubescent she is, her grief has consumed her in her hatred. And she will kill, and kill, and kill, until she discovers, too late, that killing that dragon won't bring back that simpering squire, or her criminal sister, or her mother and father. Even now, I saw the Blade Hand begin attacking the dragon as I came through my private entrance to this tunnel. "'We have very little time before the blade comes into play "'and can be stolen in the midst of this chaos. "'So, Athryn, are you with me, "'or will you learn the price of asking too many questions like Tyriar did?' "'As Zeru finished his tirade, Loella felt chills that should have been impossible "'to feel in the gentle natural sauna she was in.' What Zeru was describing was beyond anything the senator could possibly have imagined. She was likely listening to the most dangerous mortal who had ever lived. He had to be stopped. But as Luella scrambled through all the thoughts and ideas striking her as she listened, she saw Zeru's shadow let go of Atheron's. Atheron gasped for air, but his anger seemed somewhat tempered by Zeru's explanation. fine Atheron stammered. "'But what of the rest of Aelpha's Order of the Blade? "'Will they not try to come and aid her?' "'They are attending the Maeli advance towards the city, "'last I saw before I came down here from my tent,' Zeru responded. "'Lacking any sort of flight capability without their avians,' "'They must also follow the same slow, trudging path "'the rest of the Maeli are forging. "'In short, Atheron, I have ensured "'that there is perfect balance in this equation. "'There will be no witnesses, "'and there will be no mistakes.' "'Atheron continued to gasp somewhat for air. "'Very well,' I can take you to Stradthric so you can be ready to take the blade when the time comes. Athrun's shadow turned in place as he looked around. So you have this violin here somewhere, whatever it is? Zeru's shadow nodded as it and Atherin's shadow both grew smaller. They were coming closer towards the lake. Loella tried to still her heart, to hold her breath. She could have gone underwater— but what Athrin and Zeru were revealing was likely one of the most dangerous conspiracies Loella had ever heard of, which for a senator was quite the statement. So instead, she kept hiding her head behind a small boulder jutting out of the water, hoping that would be enough to keep her hidden. Though their shadows were now gone from sight, Loella heard Zeru's voice even more clearly than before. He couldn't have been more than five paces away. Yes, it's here. I couldn't very well keep it with my other supplies in the camp, Zeru noted. Just give it to one of the more proficient archers back in Stradrix. On the slim chance, Aelther proves less than successful in defeating Messiax. You'll need to have someone fire an arrow dipped in this into the dragon's throat." "'It will be painful, but it will be enough to permanently shake Tsalas "'from this pathetic trance she is in,' Zeru tuttered. "'A pity for her, truly. "'A human wielder of the godshard of wilds, untrained, untaught, "'and like Aeltha, not in control of her powers, "'abducted by dragon-hunters, not knowing that she was growing up in a society that, had they known what she truly was, a dragon-shaped shifter, and not a draconid as they have thought all this time, would have slaughtered her on the spot. It's little wonder she ended up unwittingly suppressing the most powerful part of herself. I know much about healing— But some of these afflictions of the mind have proven utterly fascinating. Loella felt a cold, determined rage fill her. Zeru had been obviously planning this for years. How many lives had he ruined? Was he somehow responsible for this war as well? She unfortunately didn't notice, however, until it was too late, that Zeru and Athrin had already turned around and were heading back down the tunnel, out of range for any reliable hydromancy attack. Heading back towards Stradrix, a city full of innocence, embroiled in a chaos that Loella finally understood was anything but a trick of fate, but was instead. The result of the cold calculation of a mass murderer. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode featured a character inspired by John from Wyoming, who imagined a draconid sorcerer whose mastery of flame would be feared by all. Thanks for the inspiration, John. As we approach our premiere date on December 10th, Remember that we want to feature your characters and your stories. Do you have a character idea for our premiere episodes? Submit your suggestion at MundariaLegends.com, where you can also find out more about the lore, history, and magic of Mundaria. Remember to like, subscribe, and follow the show, and leave us your comments of what you thought. We are excited to hear from you. And again, mark those calendars for December 10th as we begin Season 1 of Mundaria Legends.